Hi, everyone. Welcome to This Much I Know, the Seed Camp podcast with me, your host, Carlos Espinal, bringing you the inside story from founders, investors, and leading tech voices. Tune in to hear from the people who built businesses and products, scaled globally, failed fantastically, and learned massively. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast, the first of 2020, we're going to focus on the most important asset people have in a company, or rather management has in a company, the people. Today, we have our dear friend and recent hire, Marina Gori, who was the co-founder of Super Awesome and now leads up the talent and people practice within Seedcamp. And we're going to hear a little bit about her story, a little bit about the lessons she's learned along the way and what she's helping our companies with. Welcome, Marina. Hi, Carlos. Glad to finally be here. Nice. So, I'm a fan. Yes, let's start off with story of super awesome why did why did it get started what was those early days like and the very first hire um so when we started super awesome it was back in late 2012 early 2013 um when we started, there was no digital kids space. It did not exist. Kids were online in some places, in like Angry Birds, but there was no go-to destination for kids online. And it was very interesting for us to start to think about what does a digital kids space look like? And why is there no digital kids space? Um, so we started out looking at how do we build a, a digital kids platform that will thrive? And from there, I realized that actually there was a significantly regulated area um, starting out in the US um, with COPPA, Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. And the way in which we were going to build the tech for the, the digital kids space was going to be very different than the tech that we use for the above, above 13 space. Um, digital privacy for kids is paramount. And now we call that kid tech. So we coined the phrase kid tech, building technology with the responsibility of kids privacy in mind. What was it like at the beginning? I said to someone the other day, um, I remember coming home in the tube one day and um, actually thinking, this isn't that hard. <laughs> because actually, at the very, very, very beginning, yeah, you're trying to figure out what you're doing. Yes, you're trying to figure out how you're going to get some money to back this. Yes, you're trying to figure out like some very important aspects of your business. But really... Compared to when you have 10 people, when you have 20 people, 30 people, 40 people, 60 people, it's not that hard. So when you hear people talking about like being in a startup is hard, um, or, and clients, you know, if when your clients grow as well, obviously, um, at the beginning, when there's two of you in a room kind of having fun thinking about, is this going to be mobile first? It's very different than when it gets genuinely hard. Um, yeah. So that's what it was like at the beginning, very, very early days. So. At what was the total max headcount and what year when, when you left? What was the total size of the company? Just to give people a sense of scope. Yeah, sure. Um, so when I left in 2018, um, um, August 2018, we had 135 people um, spread across the world. So we had a team of about 85 here in London, and the rest were based in New York, L.A., Chicago. We also had a separate venture partnership out in APAC with about 40 people as well. We were doing about 50 million revenue and tracking to 100 million revenue. Um, so we were um, facing nice high growth, great traction. And we also had hit profitability in 2017. Okay. So we're going to focus a little bit about what it's like to grow a company to that size. And today's podcast, we're going to cover a model that you've built uh, around the level of stage appropriate support that a company should receive. And we'll get that 
uh, in a second. But before we get to that, we'd love to hear some anecdotes that generated the thoughts behind this this matrix that we're going to talk about and that you're going to share on, on your blog post. So the first thing is, when did you start noticing things break? Like when, what was the total head count that you started noticing things requiring a specific investment from management into the way that people were organized? Yeah, like I remember when we were growing and kind of looking externally for information on like what to expect at different stages, like what should we be thinking about? Like you literally, it's not rocket science, but it's not obvious. If you don't know what changes to expect, you can't start to think about like, okay, well, is what we've got today going to be enough? Or how do we evolve that? When do we need to start thinking about evolving that and prioritizing that? And I remember one particular moment when it was really obvious that a specific aspect of what we were doing was broken was I remember on one of our offsites and we had about uh, 50 people and one of our star performers, like total rock star player, um, had decided to leave. And it was shell shocking. It was heartbreaking and shell shocking for from two different angles. So what was it about what we were doing that was so, that we'd gotten so wrong that somebody who had hu such huge potential and also had the opportunity to, to fulfill that potential was going to leave. And what we found was that there were very basic managerial level stuff that we weren't aware of or not um, actively supporting to empower managers to have the right answers, to do the right thing. But also at an executive level, we weren't, we hadn't designed our, our approach to ensure that we were spending the right amount of time with the right people and they were getting a chance to talk about their, their, their thought, their decisions and their, their thinking and their planning for themselves. And so they weren't, that person wasn't necessarily aware of the opportunity. Um, so that was one major issue where it was like a people issue where it was like, wow, we really need to go back to the drawing board here. Something is really broken. Okay. So just, just to, again, just to contextualize it for people, how many people were in the company at the time? About 50. 50. And then where were you in terms of fundraising then? Series A? So series Doing Series A. Yeah. Okay. And then another factor, another moment where it was really like obvious that not necessarily how broken it was, but like, shit, we really need to invest in this right now. This is the time. Like now we need to back this was we started um, having our first global team. So we built an office out in um, New York and we were at a time where like this is maybe five years ago when we had um, the tools that we had back then weren't the same tools we had now. So we had the standard um video sharing tools that you have today appear in all those ones everybody was using different tools and then you try and do a team stand up and everything would fall down mm. and we would still think let's try that again and then it would fall down and we were out in new york at an offsite with the team and everything we heard back was the, the problem with the communication and it was so obvious it was in our face at that point it was almost it doesn't need you don't need to wait until it's in your face to take the action um, but obviously you can. Um, we were obvious. It was like, now we need to spend money. We need to like pay for Zoom and we need to make sure that everybody's got access to the best tools that they need to streamline how we communicate, um, t with each other and our clients. Um, I think there are two really good examples of where it's a bit too in your face. It can, you can be a little bit ahead of that. Um, and it's difficult to get the information around, well, what do I need to get ahead of mm. when you are building? Mm. And then when it comes to, 
I mean, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but there's lessons learned and then there's lessons learned. And, you know, one, one, you've shared two anecdotes of lessons learned, but can you think of an example where you dodged a bullet that, that you guys look back on? You're like, holy crap, we totally got away with that in terms of maybe too long, maybe something you end up having to fix anyway, or something that just happened that, that, that kind of worked out in your favor. Yeah. I think for sure at the stage where I was, leaving so coming into series c there's certain things that have to be in place that um if they're not in place that you will not you will not survive and we just borderline had some of the key things in place now it'll be vital to make sure that they're in place um i talk about them in the in the document but an area where we truly dodged a bullet was in leadership in the us when you're expanding globally you face obviously a number of different challenges for us a key challenge was hiring in the US at the beginning because we didn't know how to understand um, the candidates. We really, really just genuinely would have an interview, like a normal interview, and not understand, is this person going to be able to do the job or not? Yeah, Americans are hard to understand. Yeah, no, <laughs> they're just so <laughs> impressive. <laughs> they're so impressive oh, I see that we were like, shit, well, that person's uh, going to kill it. And then what? they would hire them and then they would like not kill it. And we were like, why are we getting this so wrong? Um but also, when you're expanding to the US, like I've, I've heard this a thousand times since, but one of the big recommendations is that you do go drop a founder in, like, like let found, lead a founder. Um, and we didn't do that. And we also, we probably weren't thinking about the leadership requirement at that early stage because we felt like we had a lot of strong leaders in our business and, but we didn't recognize how important it was to have that leadership on the ground. Mm. And the, when we, we finally did find the right leader, um, Kato Lachlan, like that was, I feel like if we hadn't, we wouldn't be where we are today. And we did. But that was a do bullet dodged. We mm. found the perfect person. Mm. We were lucky. One of the things that is coming up more and more, especially as the cost of developers are, is going up, is, is remote working and hiring remote teams. Did you guys have any, any massively large uh presences that were not in, in direct contact with you guys? Yeah. Um, so let's break it out into remote teams, which we had, which was like, ex like remote offices that were not based in London at the mm -hmm. time. Um, and then distributed teams mm -hmm. where by you're actively building teams just not, that aren't are based at home or mm -hmm. working home, um, or working from a separate office, mm -hmm. not cumulative. Um, so yeah, more, more that last one than, than the yeah. previous one. I think around the time that we were, we would have had a couple of people working, not necessarily in the office. We were trying to prioritize people being in the office. We were aiming for high growth. We had very ambitious um, plans. And so we felt that it was important to have everyone in the office to get the best result. Um, I don't think that we had the understanding at the time of if you were to go with the more of a remote approach, how you would do that really well. Mm -hmm. um, I think now a lot of learnings are coming through from places like GitLab and, and Buffer around, you know, if you're building remote or distributed teams, here are your priorities. Um, that's actually, if, if you look at what we're going to talk about in a minute, we'll come back to it. Yeah. I mean, those priorities effectively become a form of culture, right? And getting people on board to that culture and that way of working so that the remote workers don't feel like there's literally a remote agent uh, rather than like a key part of the team. But maybe you can talk a little bit about when a company starts creating a culture that's worth documenting and starts becoming um, a thing as part of an onboarding. Yeah. I think a lot of companies struggle with that 
that idea of documenting your culture and it's there's a question around like why are we doing this in the first place like why like the reason you take the time to st step back and actually capture what your cu culture is what your values are, are is so that you can ultimately communicate it and the reasons it's valuable to communicate it uh, are that one you can be clear on what to expect when you join the company mm. um, and what behaviors to expect so culture like how we do things around here values what i expect from you and you what you can expect from me and if you can communicate that that's a really good place to begin that relationship and also it's a really good place to build awareness about like how we genuinely do things and over time how do we evolve how does that evolve yeah and how do we invest around that as well how do how does that inform our decision making i would argue that if you are pre-seed you do not need to prioritize having that in place because it's very difficult to do that without some of the other pieces of the puzzle in place, like product, like mission. I do believe that you do need to be able to have a communicatable version of that in place where you can say what you're about. You can talk to what, like, I, you can talk to what to expect from me, you know? Um, it doesn't need to be so formal as you've spent a day of genuinely, like, really ripping through and thinking about it and, and capturing it in a deck and, like, like almost preaching about it yeah but really just be able to genuinely communicate like what what we're about i think is enough at pre-seed yeah um i think as you start to get into seed yeah start to formalize it if you're series a you want to have that in place and you want to have a document and you also want a really great way of sharing it yeah. and i don't mean on the walls i mean yeah. where are the formal parts that you shared in so am i formally sharing it in my onboarding how am i doing that what's the communication is it one of the executives talking to or one of the founders talking to the new hire is it something that we bring up consistently in our um, regular meetings that we have? Is it something that we've built, we've built rewards around in the business? Is it something that we're just as a team, like giving each other a thumbs up or a pat on the back when we can see that, yeah, I value that. I really yeah. appreciate that you've done that. Yeah. So it evolves. It evolves. And, and I think that's a good transition point to this amazing matrix that you've built. And for those that are listening, there's going to be uh check out the show notes. There's going to be a link to Marina's blog post where you can download it or, or read about it in more detail, but maybe as a way of verbally representing something as inherently visual, I'm just going to walk through the X and Y axis and give you a sense for what Marina is trying to accomplish with this. So as we know, companies go through different stages of growth. And one way you could quantify that is by saying, and the number of employees, but instead, another way of looking at it, especially because cash is such an indicator of your ability to hire, um, Marina's broken it out into pre-seed, uh, seed, series A, series B, and I guess theoretically you could, you know, continue that onwards. Then the other axis are all the elements that define all the, the people functions, which include, uh, the definition of mission, culture, and values, the recruiting, onboarding, and retention functions, the quality of meetings and the internal communications, the operational rigor and training and development. And across these, you have in the, in the intersection of these two axes, you have what the typical actions are. Now, of course, it's going to be difficult to go through each one of the, the, the squares in a verbal format. But what I think would be great, Marina, would be is if you could highlight some of the things that may be unexpected. Yeah, unexpected. Well, I think let's caveat it just off the, off the back. Like, this is not prescriptive. This is more a way to illustrate, like, here are the things that you should be thinking about, um, or can be thinking about, um, that evolve over time. The, sh the thing that we will all share is the fact that we evolve. But in the way that I've laid it out now, 
definitely, if you're looking at meeting quality and internal communications here, I've talked about at the beginning, it's really okay to have a messy approach to that. If you are building a remote team or a distributed team, obviously they're top priority. Like how you communicate is going to directly impact your performance there and, and, and empower you, empower your team to, to thrive. Um, the reason I suggest that you can approach that with a slightly messier um, system, but consciously working to improve the effectiveness and the efficiencies is because leaving that room and that space for the conversations to happen, the relationships to build is, is it's a, um, it's a luxury that you can afford. And that by trying to be too rigorous at that stage, you may lose out on a lot of very valuable um, opportunities. I definitely recommend, obviously, as you get to the next stage and start to get a little bit bigger. Yeah, you want to start instilling the practice and laying the foundations of what good looks like and what great looks like and what you're working towards. But still, I would leave room and not really focus on getting into formalized rigor um, for series until you get to like series A when, you know, this is like we need to be able to deliver on what we're trying to achieve in the most cost effective, time effective, performance enhanced way. Um, and you lose a little bit of the luxury that you had before. So now I was at people team, you're thinking about, well, how else are we going to allow those relationships to continue to grow and develop? But they're, it's no longer the format where you can have those chats in a meeting. Um, so that might surprise some people, but that's my thinking. And then also, if you look at training development, like training development and how you scale your existing team, obviously is make or break um, situation for the long term. The team that you have at pre-seed to seed, if, the, if, you, if they're great ones and you retain them, like obviously they're your senior leadership at series, series um, B or series C. So what you do to support their growth and um, is vital and how I, you I talk about that. Interesting quote. And I, I don't know who said this, but it was something like, it was a conversation between a CEO and somebody else within the organization is like, Hey, you know, what if we train all these people and they leave and we spent all this money on them and they just leave. And then the, I think the leader replied back with, what if we don't train them and they stay? So then you end up having people who are not developing themselves and then you're actually doubling down on having their incompetence in the, in the organization. So actually very good point. Yeah. But. What I'm sort of saying also is that you don't necessarily need to invest money in that at that point. When you're as pre-seed, what you're doing is hiring people who have the ambition to grow and to evolve with you as a business and who are um, ready to achieve something significant together. If at that point you you have the opportunity to invest in it, yes, okay, definitely it's a great investment. But if, if you're trying to figure out where's the best place to spend my money right now, you don't necessarily have to spend money in this area. What you what you what's more important at this point is to actively promote the concept. Like to say, yes, I believe in your evolution. I believe that yes, it's vital that you attend those meetings. Yes, absolutely you can have time off to go to that thing. Have you read this book? Here's a great article. Here's what I'm doing to improve what I've done. You know, mistake I made last week. You know what I've learned about that? Like having those conversations, mm. fostering that um, responsibility on their side as well, mm-hmm. um, ultimately means that when you do ultimately invest, that you've got a team who are prime for like really getting the most out of a, a training session. Mm. And then in this matrix, what, what um, you've shared some really great uh, sort of bottom up, starting from the pre-seed and seed. What is the one thing that in this matrix would be shocking to somebody looking at it for the first time that that could be deferred much longer than people tend to defer it? Well, I think training development. What struck you? Well, I think you kind of touched upon this a little bit earlier when you talked about the definition of mission, culture, and values. I think that there's a lot of, um, it's becoming a bit buzzy 
where like the definition of a mission, mission-driven companies, purpose-driven companies, and that's almost driving to some extent the the early conversations, maybe t- sometimes prematurely. So it was very interesting to hear um, your point on that, which is that some of it is preemptive, um, premature rather, because you don't necessarily have a product, you don't have some of those things. So I think that was for me the most, not necessarily shocking, but more sort of counter to the the buzz that is at the moment sort of prioritizing that at the onset. Um, if you're building your business, what is one resource that you actually have an opportunity to play around with, which is time? Like, if you're going to spend all your time in front of a machine trying to write a deck for to communicate your culture and values, when really genuinely you're just trying to figure out what product you're building, you're probably not prioritizing the right way. However, if you want to attract the right talent and the right people to your business, like in the right investors as well, yes, you absolutely need to be able to communicate why this is significant, why this opportunity is significant, not literally what your culture and values is, right? Yeah. However, yes, if you get to a series A and you are not able to communicate what your culture and values are, you're probably affecting and impacting other parts of your business inadvertently because you haven't spent the time thinking about um, what you expect from each other Mm. and what you value. Mm. You haven't spent the time communicating and thinking about how you do things. Mm. What's good about that? What's bad about that? Mm. Well, I think one of the other things that maybe we can discuss is around hiring your first senior something that isn't founding team that was being done previously by the founding team, whether it's the first senior salesperson, the first senior marketing person, whatever the first senior person is. And um, it's not necessarily clear from the matrix, but maybe you can walk us through when do you generally see at what stage you generally start seeing the organization start chiseling away at the senior management level from the founding team level, uh, key core functions. I think about it in terms of the core functions that you have as a business, right? You've got um, CEO, CEO operations, sales, marketing, product, technology, people. As a founding team, at the very, very beginning, you genuinely got to think about like, what are we missing here? Because I have conversations with people all the time where they come to me and actually what they're describing is 10 operational issues are a product problem. And the reason they've got that product problem is because they haven't got the right product focus and the right product uh, methodologies. And the reason they haven't got that is because they haven't got a product person. A product person thinks very differently and has a different tool set and abilities and, and experience that has lent itself to that approach. Then the person who hasn't been able to do that, solve it. I, at the very beginning, like if there's, if you are dual and you've got excellent commercials and you've got excellent, um, investment strategy and maybe even people in the CEO, um, okay, fine. You can go, you can go, you can get going and get moving. But like at some point, you got to really think hard about when do I need product? Who's going to own the actual product in this? When am I going to let go of the strings? Yes, I'm doing it. But when am I going to get someone in who's going to like not just do it, but actually be best world class um, to drive and propel that success that we know we can achieve? Mm. I'm not saying you literally go out and hire that suite of professionals. I'm just like saying you're consciously asking yourself this question when you're seeing problems. Like, is it because we genuinely don't have somebody who owns that, who thinks that way and who has that experience? Um, then yes, I would consider making that hire. So then, maybe let me flip the question then mm. and, and ask it. Do you find that there's a tendency to want to make up for founder weaknesses by prematurely hiring people? And how do you manage, how do you manage that temperance of staying with it to really fully understand the needs of the customer across those functions before you make that hire who then takes over and and builds an organization around that? 
Yeah, look, when you've got the situation where someone wants to hire for a founder weakness, you got to look at every hire and ask yourself, why are we making this hire? If you can't genuinely answer that there's an opportunity for this person to drive significant impact, then you should not make the hire. If there's if it's a founder weakness, but there's an opportunity for someone to drive significant impact and to bring genuine value to the table and actually together we can achieve something significant and there's a candidate, that's a little bit of a lucky win, I think. It's an opportunity like, mm. and you've got to take it. I wouldn't actively go look for the candidate if I was not 100% sure we absolutely need this hire. Mm. But if the candidate was there, yeah, I would consider, okay, right, well, look, I see the opportunity. Let's take it. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us, Marina. We'll be hearing more from you and some of these ideas over the course of the year, because I think this is a topic that needs to come up time and time again, and we'll cover more of the of the intersections of, of both these matrices points. And um, as I mentioned before, the, the resource link will be on the show notes and on Marina's blog, which will be up by the time this podcast is up. Marina, any parting thoughts? Yeah, don't make hires unless you are 100% sure that you are ready for that hire, you have a clear job spec and you've thought through that role and how it sits within the organization. That was a major problem. So just wanted to share that. Great. Well, I'm sure we can do a deep dive into that in a future episode. And with that, guys, thanks again for joining us. Until next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.